0: Okay, everybody, Parsha's bow. Uh, and another, you know, Parsha that we're familiar with, but I feel like kind of not familiar with. Um, definitely familiar with the concepts, uh, but maybe, you know, some of the Psukim perhaps, or uh, maybe escape us, or maybe, maybe we don't realize what's in the Parsha necessarily. Uh, like if I told you the Mitzvah Tfilin is this a six Parsha, not sure everybody would. Be like, oh, yeah, sure, of course. Anyway, but let's, uh, as always, a quick recap. Uh, finishing off the Makos, right? We have Arba, we have Choshech, uh, and then we have the prep for Makas Bechoros, right? The Baruch tells Moshe to tell B'nai Yisrael to ask for gold and silver when they leave. Moshe warns Paro about right. Makas Bechoros again. B'nai Yisrael get right. their first mitzvah, HaKorosh Uh The B'nai Yisrael are in charge of time. Uh, and halachos for Korban Pesach, we we have a lot of halachos for Korban Pesach. Uh, we have the Chag of Pesach for generations. We have Moshe tells Bnei Yisrael to actually do the Korban Pesach, right? To take a sheep, uh, have it in your house for a couple of days, and then you know, and then it obviously in the night of uh, Makas Bchoros. Then we have the story, the narrative of Makas Bchoros, as my kids like uh, to sing Paro b'pajama b'imsa alayla. Okay, uh, and then finally Bnei Yisrael leave Mitzrayim. Uh, and the Parsha ends off with Kadesh called Bechor, V'ayah Kiv'yacha, right? The Parsha is of the fact that the Bechoros uh, are colours to Akash Baruch Because of Magas Bechoros, HaKash Baruch has acquired, um, you know, the Bechorum of the Jews, right? Both animal, certain animals, and certainly people. Uh, and then finally the Torah ends uh with, uh with the partial those partials go in our children and then we we sum up with uh, the mitzvah uh, of tefillin so a lot of things going on obviously we'll try and touch on as much as we can um and try and get a bit of a broad range uh of things first thing i wanted to just point out is uh something i heard at uh, a pesach seder at my parents a very long time ago from my cousin uh Rabbi michael kalatsky and something that uh, really stuck with me through years uh, later and obviously because i still remember it um and it's not necessarily a, a port point in the parsha, but at this point i guess we can we can mention it you know we very much try and learn from all the characters in the chumash. right obviously we take musser and and use you know role models and the Elvos and how ben israel acted etc etc right moshe aron miriam amram right all of the, how hashem saved us right the plagues the egyptians etc etc but he felt that a person that doesn't get as much, well, definitely doesn't get as much love because he's, you know, one of the rishayim in the story, but someone who can certainly learn a lot from, right, is Paro, right? How many times does Paro get hit over the head, right, with some type of massive punishment, right? And how many times does Paro fail to recognize, right, the MS and change his tune, right? I gave, leaving aside the fact that Hashem hardened his heart a couple of times and, uh, you know, how you understand that exactly, okay, fine, right, we talked about that. Uh, but if, uh, aside from that, right? Paro has been warned many, many times, and he's been punished for keeping to the same actions, right? Mm-hmm. Many, many times, right? I, again, looking at it from from an outsider's perspective, we all read the Chumich and we think, "What an idiot!" Right? What? What? What was he thinking? Like uh, aside, uh, all of us, we're very confident that after two, three makos, we would have been done, right? Uh, Unfortunately, what we, we don't realize is that when it comes to our own lives, right, for our own lives, we do the same thing, right? How stubborn do we remain, right, in the face of truth, right? How often do we receive messages from our God over and over and over and over and punishments that kind of try and maneuver us to think differently? And yet we also... You know, fail to change uh, our ways for whatever reason, whether it's laziness, whether we don't realize, whether we don't have the courage or the koch. Again, our messages are obviously probably not as overt as, like, you know, uh, locusts falling from the sky and eating all of our crane. Okay, but sometimes it can be pretty clear. Right, again, uh, you know, sometimes it can be pretty clear from an outsider's point of view, like we suggested before. Uh, and yet so often we act exactly like Paro, right? And, and even if we do tshuva, right, and what did Paro do? Right, Paro initially, right, it says, you know what, enough, I'll send the Jews out. And then obviously he reverts and, and he changes his mind. Well, so we do that too. Right, we, we do tshuva, right? Elul comes and goes, or Kipper, Right, I have no doubt that everybody, you know, davens with kavanah, right, thinks about changing as a sincere desire, and then immediately afterwards, or very soon afterwards, right, what happens every single year, we go back to our old habits, right? We go back to being paro, right, and quote-unquote harden our hearts, as it were. So paro also, right, it, it gives us a tremendous message. Uh, you know, the Torah details clearly Right, what happens to a person who fails to heed their messages, right? It's not a warning necessarily, but just to tell us. It's a precursor, you know, like as an, maybe as an encouragement, maybe give us a chizuk. I don't know, uh, that we read Paro's story and think, ah, oh, I would never be like him. And then when you really think about it, you know, we kind of are a little bit ankshay uh, oref, um, and maybe we would, you know, act like him. And then when you think about that, but when you take stock and you really notice that, right, the Torah tell, it doesn't tell us, you know, details of, you know, all these details for no reason, right? It's for us to take note. Uh, so um, it's a sham, right? We should be zocha to also learn not only from the tzedikim in the story, but also uh, from the rishon. Okay. Uh, we get our first taste, uh, no pun intended, I guess maybe a little pun intended, uh, of the halachas of Pesach and Chomets and Matzah and Seder night in Korban Pesach. Uh, I didn't do a count, but much, if not the majority of the Parsha, right, deals with uh, these topics. And obviously, right, Chometz is relevance for Yitzhiz Mitzrayim. Um, we're not going to talk about that right now. Maybe we'll do that when we get closer to the Pesach. Right? A lot of Chazal talk about Chometz as a metaphor for the Yitzhar Hara, Right? For example, the Gemara says, and The Gemara there is uh, listing off a bunch of Tzfilos. That the Amarayim would say, the Gemara says, Rabbi, Rabbi Alexandri would say after he davened, he would say, Ribono right. olim ha'olamim kash baruchu galuy v'edul lefenach You know that I want to do what you want. You know that's what I want. but who stops me from doing what I want? What you want? Soor shevi'isa v'shibud Machios. Right. What stops me from being an uh, no, Ovid Hashem in the proper way that I really want? It's the sor Isa It's the yeast in the dough and shib and and the oppression from Gullus from, uh, from other kingdoms. Okay, let's, leaving aside the second one, what is sor shebi'isa? What do you mean the yeast in the dough? What does that mean? Right. What, is, what's, what does that mean? So pshat is, again, the push-up I think, um, is that it's the little bit of the extra taiva, right, in the dough, right, because what's what's yeast, what's bread? Bread is water and flour and yeast, right, without the yeast, bread is matzah, right, without the dough rising, you get stuck with matzah, and obviously, bread is much more flavorful, it's much more enjoyable, for most of us, I would imagine, than matzah, right, what gives it that enjoyable, fluffy flavor? It's a source of isa, it's a little bit of taiva, it's a little bit of, you know, a little bit of flavor, a little bit of hana. Uh, and and sure enough, you, what do you, what's the difference between bread and matzah? One of the differences is that bread does not last. right? You leave a challah out in the sun, or leave it out in your kitchen table, and it's going to go bad pretty quick. Matzah, I probably even still have matzah from last Pesach somewhere in my house. right? Or maybe not because I moved, but okay, whatever. I have had matzah in my house from months after. So matzah lasts. Pesach, uh, bread, which has yeast in it, lasts maybe a day or two. So Chazal all over the place. When they talk about all the Mishras for him, all the, the schmoozes that you hear right around Pesach time, talks about Chometz and the of the Isa is a little bit of the Hana, and a little bit of the Taiva that we have in this world, and that's comparable to the Yetzirah. Reva Weiss quotes the Radvaz and Chela Gimel, the Simon Tav Kuf Mem Vav, says over here. Uh, the Radvaz wonders aloud, why are the Halachos of Chometz so machmir? He was also probably like you and me, like, why are we making ourselves sugar? Okay, it's definitely one of the halachos. Definitely chashuv. Okay, we get the point. But a lot of things are zechari, let's yes, mitzrayim, as we're going to mention a little bit later. Uh, we don't make ourselves crazy about kiddush. Uh, we don't. Uh, maybe we should, but okay. We don't make we make ourselves crazy for chametz. A speck of chametz is chashuv. Right, chametz is not batel. Right. Normally, if a spot of chicken, uh, a spot of milk falls into chicken soup, right? it's batel bashishim, Right, it's fine. The soup is fine. Chametz is not. Chametz is not batel, and the soup is toast. You have, toast also a terrible pun the soup you have to throw out right you have to we go and check for hours if you do it right but it goes chametz to make sure you don't have the slightest bit of chametz in our house you look at all the cracks under the bed inside the shelves etc etc right? you can't even own chametz if it's not in your house you can't even own it right otherwise you violate by your albaimatzeh right you're to own chametz. what's with all the chumras so our vaz explains that the mushal, the chametz, is a remez the etzahara Right, the chametz is the Yetzirah, Rem the yitzha, and therefore we're instructed right, to get rid of it, to banish it from our homes, search it out, eliminate it, shoot it, track it down, shoot it in the head, right, get rid of every trace of are in our lives. And when we do find the chametz, we have to destroy it, not just leave it on the side or throw it in the garbage, although that's acceptable. Right, we actively eliminate it, right? we burn it, right? we flush it. Right? And if you're not home, says you have to be able to it. Right? you have to declare it ownerless, right? To say that you have no interest in it, no desire to own it whatsoever, no thought to keep it around, etc., etc. Right? We we do bittel. Right? we banish it in our minds completely, decide we have nothing to do with it, right? And we also, uh, beer, we also burn it. That's the attitude we need to have with our Yetzirah, right? Not to even give it the slightest edge. Right? If there's something you're struggling with, and we're all struggling with something, so think about whatever you're struggling with, with right now. Let's say you're, uh, I'll give you an example if you need. Let's say you're, you're, you know, you're watching something on your phone or whatever. Don't give the Aidsahara even the slightest advantage, right? Delete the app, right? Unfollow the influencer, whatever, right? Just banish it from your home. Eliminate any trace, right? Any ability for you to access that thing that you're dealing with. Right? For example, a lot of the girls in the seminary right now are, are have limits on their apps, on their phone. Right, and they give it to the rabbis, and the rabbis make the passcode. And I really hope I don't forget, <laughs> because that would be forever. Although maybe I do. I hope. Maybe I do hope I forget. But uh, that's a. For example, you got to get rid of it. I mean, don't don't trust yourself. Right? Oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I won't watch this for a week. No, you got to put limits. You got to delete the thing. Don't give the yitzhara the slightest foothold. Uh, bittel, right? Bittel, bittel chametz to beer chametz, burn it, get rid of it, uh, and and you know, don't give it any chance uh pivoting a little bit if i may engage in a little misdirection um and this is gear for more for guys than girls but it certainly applies to, to ladies as well uh there's another kind of betel we don't need to wait till pesach or erev of pesach rather right to do Bittle. uh unfortunately there's a different kind of Bittle that we're engaged with them every every single day and that is betel torah uh, but, but Torah, right? And there are several types and several stages of bittel Torah. Uh, one happens before learning, and one happens during lear- during learning, and one happens after learning. Um, again, before learning you know getting to the point where you're gonna sit down and learn when you're learning pittal Torah is a thing and after you're learning certainly it is a thing if you know you just kind of just put it out of your mind you know chazret you don't think about it at all but regardless of where you're holding in the learning process right the message a person conveys when they're in bvatal Torah is just like the message we just said about the comments. I have no interest in this no desire to own it no thought to keep it around don't want to have anything to do with it at all again that sounds harsh but that's the Lashon of bittel. When we're Mivatal something, we get rid of it. And if you're Mavatl Torah, that's why it's so serious. That's why people are in a lot of the Rebey and yeshivas is talking about bittel Torah. It sends a message. Right? It says what you think about learning and Torah in general. Again, if you have a karusa schedule for nine A.M. Right when learning in Yeshiva started for me and YU started from at nine A. M. And, and people showed up with the muffin and the coffee at nine thirty. And frankly, that was Bill Torah. That was showing that they don't care. All right? Would you show up half an hour late for a movie? All right? Would you show up half an hour late for a football game? All right? AFC NFC Championship. All right? You're down. In your no way. Not, not a chance. Right? You're down in your basement. TV on. Burger ready. Coke. Ice. Ketchup on the side. Jersey on. Phone ready to type with all the guys. But right, that's something you care about. Right, showing up to Morning Seder half an hour late with a coffee and a muffin shows that you don't care about Morning Seder. And that's beforehand, in the middle of learning, if you're in the middle of the toso, or whatever, if you take out your phone, you start checking God knows what. So what does that say? That says you don't care. It doesn't say, I need a break. That's not what it says. You can go outside for two minutes, grab a swig of water, at the water fountain, walk around clear your head and come back and sit down and dive back in. That's a break. When you stop in the middle of learning, that means you don't care. That means that the subject is not important enough to pay attention to. And afterwards, when you're finished learning, right? So, so how many of us just chuck the learning from our minds, right? And just dismiss it and don't think about it again? If someone asks you what you're learning five minutes after you're learning, right? What's your response? Right? Can you come up with the topic? let alone spit out the details of the Machogues Rashi If you can, fantastic. If you can't, so that's Bital Torah after you're learning. You're not thinking about it. You don't care. You're chucking it out of your brain. Right, I'm sure you can remember all the details of the last episode of whatever Netflix show you were binging. I promise you. Right, so that's what you, what do you care about? So that's extremely telling. And the Gemara Yuma says, the Gemara Yuma that says that no matter what our situation is, we don't have an excuse. We don't have an excuse for not learning. How much you learn? Okay, that that maybe depends on your situation, but we do not have an excuse for not learning at all, right? So a poor person, the Gemara says there, Hashem will say to you, well, were you were you ever any pur- poorer than Hillel, right? Hillel, who kind of froze on top of the base matters, right? The, the the whole story that you know kids learn, right? When uh, he froze the Gemara in and Yuma, right? That they froze on top of the base matters, right? Looking in, right? So that's the you can't you weren't any poorer than Hillel. Right, he learned. He he stuck himself to the base marriage because he didn't have enough money to pay to get in. So he listened at the window and he froze over, to a rich person. Hashem will say, "Were you any richer than Rabbi Elazar, who had a thousand cities and a thousand boats and you know, cities for tax purposes? Yeah, and a thousand boats and all this stuff." To a Russia who's beautiful and can't help but follow the Taifas, Hashem will say, "Were you any less beautiful than Yosef Etzadik? Right, did your Nisoyon pale in comparison to Yosef Etzadik?" And Yosef was able to overcome. So in the end, says the Gemara, that Hillel is Mechaev, the poor, and Rabbi Elazer is Mekhaiv the rich, and Yosef is Mechaev, uh, the Rishayim, the beautiful, and the Tavidic. Says Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, I understand. Just because there's one great dude once upon a time, he hasn't used the word dude, He's not. that's not the Osoloshan, but just because there was some great guy once upon a time, thousands of years ago, had the same problem as me, therefore I'm chayev. Therefore, I'm lacking. Right? That makes no sense. Right? Why should I be Mikhaev if some Godel lived thousands of years ago and is able to overcome what I'm dealing with? So, if Chaim explains, fascinating, fascinating interpretation. It says, that's only a kasha. That's only a question. If learning Torah would be some great ability, some great achievement, some great attribute. Right? It's only a question if you ask it like, well, LeBron can play ball at a high level. Why can't you? Well, that's a stupid question because right? I'm not LeBron because I don't have that ability. But exactly. LeBron has that ability. I don't have that ability. The implication being that all of us do have the ability, right, to learn Torah, right? The question is only a stupid question. If I can't ha- can't do what LeBron can, I can't. But all of us have an ability to learn Torah and for something and he says even further for something basic that's not akasha right? for something that's about life itself right that question falls away if, for, if you're talking about living breathing eating right everybody does whatever they can do in order to live right so you know people always you know the classic uh, you know, there are people starving in africa don't throw don't f- finish your vegetables you can compare someone who's starving in africa to someone who's eating in new york because they're eating food, right? They're trying to stay alive. We compare one person's survival to another's. But right? if they can live without X, Y, and Z, so can you, right? If grandparents who went through the Holocaust, I heard from my, I, my parents did not, my, my family did not, but for our friends who had, uh, you know, grandparents and great-grandparents who went through the Holocaust, they said, yeah, we lived without this. You can live without this also. Now, again, whatever. That's, a, that's a valid argument. So so for us, Torah, says Rav Chaim, Torah is our lifeblood, right? If a person was able to have the challenges of learning Torah and was able to overcome, then we can as well. That that then it, that exists inside of us as well. And we therefore the Kasha is valid. And that's why all those people are gonna be Mekhaya us, because everybody has that ability. Everybody can breathe, everybody can eat, everybody can drink, everybody can sleep, everybody can learn Torah. Right? That's it's chaim in the it's part of our life blood. And therefore we have the ability to do it as well. And for me, just uh, my, uh, just to illustrate, the one person who is a at least myself and, and the Americans who grew up in America, right, is from Dustin Zvi Finkel. Right, Dustin Finkel, that's all Rosh the Mir, went to Ida Crown. Ida Crown, Modern Orthodox High School in Chicago. I have no idea what it was like in 1960, 70, whatever he went, but he became Rosh Sheva the Mir. And none of us have an excuse because of Rav Street, Right. I'm sure, again, I can't think of any women who are comparable. I'm sure there are amazing women uh, who are comparable, but when I get to to Makash Baruch, who's going to show me a picture of Rav Nussan that I have on my wall over here, and be like, no, there are no excuses, unfortunately. And I, you know, whether I live up to that is, is another question, but at the end of the day, Rabos say that's all we have. It's only excuses. We have to realize that we can be better, uh, and if we're better, so then we'll be able to to get closer to the potential that we really have. Okay. Uh, you can't talk about Parshas Bo without the Ramban. The Ramban at the end of Parshas Bo, uh, I would argue it's well-known, but I, you know, I hate saying that when it makes people feel bad. But the Ramban at the end of Parshas Bo basically talks about several topics, um, and the main theme over there uh, is why a Baruch Hu does open miracles. He's commenting on on thrillin. Um, <laughs> and he points out that, you know, that a lot of mitzvahs that we have, that right, are Zechelitziyaz Mitzrayim. He says, what's the point? He says, what why is so much Zechelitziyaz Mitzrayim? He says, I'm going to tell you a rule by a lot of mitzvahs. Right, we have a lot of mitzvahs, right, that, that, uh, that Zechelitziyaz Mitzrayim. He says, a lot of people have a problem with Emunah Bittachim. Right, he says, unfortunately, there are a lot of people that are weak in Emunah. I'm just paraphrasing over here with the text. Akash right, Baruch Hu wanted to do something to show that it's not true. He said, for example, a lot of people have a, 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 false, a fallacy and think that the world was created and then it just runs. Akash right, the Baruch Hu pushed the button and everything, And if they even believe in Akash Baruch Hu, Kosh Baruch pushed the button and now everything runs. So it says the Ramban and the Kalal that Kosh Baruch Hu does open miracles to show that he controls the hidden miracles as well. Again, this is a theme by Hanukkah. Rav right? Kosh did the open miracle of uh, of the of the nair of the candles to show that there was also a hidden miracle of the, wa- of the you know something of the war that looked natural. But that's says Ramban. That's the purpose of open miracles. So he doesn't have to do it in every generation, for every Russia, and every kofer, right It's like uh, you know if you or I would walk up to you know let's take a different basketball player, walk up to Michael Jordan and say, "Prove it to me that you're a great basketball player." He'd laugh at us. So, Gosh Baruch doesn't do Nisim in every single generation to show off. Now, obviously, there are Nisim that he does, but meaning open, Makos-type open miracles. But he did it once, right? And it was written, and, and obviously many times after that, but, it, but he did it once, right? And he showed that he controls the nature, and he can change nature at a whim whenever he wants. And that shows, says Ramban, that Gosh Barucho really controls everything, right? That really controls everything that the, the open miracles hit shed light, and the hidden miracles, that everything we do, the breathing, the seeing, right, all the type of natural things, the sun rising that we kind of take for granted, that's really, uh, that's really also miraculous. And the only reason we call that a miracle is based on frequency. I mean, Akash Baruch does everything, right? He splits the sea and he makes the sunrise. Right? Well, one is a miracle, one is not, simply because of frequency. Akash Baruch split the sea once, and he makes the sunrise every single day both made by Akash Baruch and Kosh Baruch when he split the sea, he showed that he controlled all aspects of nature and therefore, uh, you know, that's the basis, you know, how we can reinforce uh, Aram, Aramuna. Uh, and along the same lines, you know, we see that other commentaries right, talk about this as well on the Parsha. mean the Degel the Degel Mach Ephraim, he asks, the Torah often says that Koshbar Baruch did miracles for the Mitzer, right, so that they would know that Hashem is... Melech is king. Right? It says this, uh, Moshe makes this speech a couple of times before Barad, before Dam. Right? This is how you'll know that I am Hashem. So I think it says before Aro of Israel as well, when right, the three times that Moshe went uh, to Paro by the river. And okay, so ask De'agomach and Ephraim why in the world will Kosh Baruch Hu alter the natural world to show the Mitzrim that he is God? He should show us. Uh, we know. I mean, again, I, and that was obviously true as well. I mean, that's what he was doing. But why would Kosh Baruch Hu also care? That he was showing the mitzram that he is king. So he says very beautifully that really ala He said really, it wasn't for the mitzrim, although it was, but it wasn't really for the mitzrim, it was for the Jewish mitzvim. Right? The Jews who are acting like Mitzram. So that everyone should see and know that a kosh is a-gosh-barku. That all the Jews, not only the Jews who are, you know, have him but the Jews who are struggling with their emunah bitachon and maybe have, you know, different types of, uh, you know, philosophies that have seeped in there. Right? To show that really a kosh baruch is a kosh baruch, Just like it says at the beginning of the parsha, Right? Right? Like, so, I'm doing this so you should tell this to your children and your children's children. And you should know that I am Hashem. Well, obviously, the Jews who are going to tell their kids, right, are Jews who are affiliated, Right? the miracles were for the Jews who were not affiliated as well, right, in addition, so that Kosh Baruch altered the natural laws for them, so you could, they couldn't help but realize that Kosh Baruch was king, right, and obviously now thousands of years later, there's plenty of room for the Itzharah to plant the seeds of doubt, but at that time, then no one doubted, right, even, and, you know, even some mitzvah went up with the Jews, the Erev Rav came out with the Mitzrayim, etc., and so Rav explains, and, and all of Chazal explains, uh, you know many different sources uh, that the whole goal of Yitzhak Mitzrayim was to prove that, that there is no such thing as nature, But there is no such thing as a mask, right? Uh, uh, the, of nature, that uh, Rabbi Kivitats has a fantastic book called World Mask. Right? The, 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 it's really just a karsporucho, and and the world is a mask which we have to kind of see through. Ramelech quotes the sabracha Right? show you did you from Mozart. Mudget Mudgets Mudgets, Mudge, I think anyway Mujji I don't know it's some some uh Polish name that I can't wrap my tongue around anyway, so he points out that, that there, the torah is very odd by makas arba when you have the the, the locusts locusts the sukkim highlight very odd things right? it says that the arabba yeah. in inhart will cover the eye of the land right? and you won't be able to see the land. And it says, Well, let's take those two first. First of all, why does that say that twice? That's the same thing. And second of all, why mention that at all? Who cares whether the arba is going to cover the entire land? They're going to get the point. There's going to be a lot of arba. You just said there's going to be a lot of locusts, a lot of grasshoppers. What do you mean covers the eye of the land and you're not going to be able to see the land? What does that do with anything? It also says, It's going to eat all the trees that grow from the fields. Well, did the Mitzram have any trees that didn't grow for the fields? Like what? They had hydroponics? Like what, what does that mean? So the says that uh, this was all to show that there is no nature. There is no land. Right? There is no field. Right? There is no spoon. Even right? there, there is no land. Right? It will cover the eye of the land and you won't be able to see the land. Meaning you won't be able to see nature. The miracles of Yiziyus Mitzrayim were so that you can't see teva anymore. There would be no nature, right? you can't see that the tree grows from the field. The arba eats that assumption. Right? All the all the nisim, right? All the miracles eliminate that assumption, right? And we, if a person thinks that a tree only grows because of nature and there's no nothing behind it, that's ridiculous, right? Of course, wills this tree to grow. And that's why it grows, not because there's soil and water and sunlight and seeds, etc. That's it. Again, it says nothing as well. That was the point of all the Makos. Right? That was why Yitzhiz Mitzrayim is so crucial to our religion. He says, So without this proper Amunah, Right, that a person could think that they are the ones who brings themselves all the parnasa, right? Ulam, bought kishimish boneh If a person like, looks and delves into the nisim of of Mitraim you know even shantaram hanugoshala alam person realizes there is no nature there is no way of the world right lomaisav haem shaviyam loda pranaso ela koltoli vigyasa goshbahu it's not a person's natural actions that bring pranaso Right? it's really all goshbahu right that a person might think he the kokhuvitsam yadi person might think that i'm the one who is able to be that slach, to be vasliach to have success not it's not true says it says nothing you think all you see some tryum shows that there is nothing to that claim, that claim is baseless. Kosh Baruch Hu is the one, right, who does all the stuff. Yes, we put in our hestadlus, but uh, the miracles we see are merely a function of frequency, and really, Kosh Hu is controlling everything, everything behind the scenes. Like we say every day in davening, mechadesh betuvo yom tov and is mechadesh; he makes a new yom Tuvo. And every day through his goodness, my <laughs> Kosh Hu is constantly recreating my brachus. <laughs> it's not us. With her actions, it's a Baruch who is enabling all this stuff uh, to happen. And along the same lines, right, we got to mention, at, uh, and this will, this will finish, it's uh, filling at the end of the Parsha comes almost out of left field. right? The firstborn thing we get, that I got that. Right? Okay, Marcus Bachoros, fine. Akash Baruch acquires all the firstborn. That I got. But then it says, we wrapped Tefillin. And we should write these Parshaos in the filling Okay, that's not necessarily written in the Psukim, but that we do write these parshas in the tefillin. What does that have to do with anything? So Melich has an unbelievable Psha that I had never seen before, and I, I was super excited to see that. Tefillin, as you're aware, right, is warm is worn on the arm and the head. So which arm do we put it on? So that's a drasha from our parsha, right? The last pause in the parsha. Fayala Osal it should be a sign for you on your hand," says the Gemara Menachos. "Tavlamet Zayin Yadcha is written strangely. Normally Yadcha is Yud Dalid Chaf Sofit, and here in this in, the, in this pasuk, it's written Yud Dalid Chaf He. Fayal Yadcha. Right? The language it still works, and that's what it means. But it's written strangely. So the Gemara, their darshins in Menachos, Darshan's that it should be really Yad Kehe. It should really be your weaker arm." That's how we know we put tefillin on the weaker arm. Righties put it on the left hand, and lefties put it on the right hand. Right, the weaker arm, the arm that doesn't have enough strength. The thing is, problem is, says Ramelech, tefillin is mainly about two things. Right, there, there are four parshas, and the tefillin. There's two of them talking about Yitzhak mitzrayim, right, in this week's parsha, right, the Bechor, and, and remembering Yitzhak mitzrayim, and the other two are Shma veHayayim Shamoah, right, listening to Hashem and the, and the Torah. Uh, the fact that Eicharsh Baruch took us out, right, again, that's that's uh, you know. The fact that Koshbarhu Baruch took us out of Egypt, right? Killed the firstborn, right? Again, made our firstborn holy, etc. Right. We we'll remember the Exodus. Right? If all of this, all of Tefillin, is about remembering the might of a Baruch so why do we tie Tefillin on our weaker hand? Should be on our stronger hand. Right. If all of this remembering how Akash Baruch is so strong and high and mighty and took us out of Egypt, right? All this stuff. So what? What's the weaker hand they have to do with anything? this is Melech? unbelievable. Yeah, the Tefillin remind us of a Kosh Baruchu's might. And also our own weakness. Right? B'nai Yisrael Mitzrayim were the, quote-unquote, the weaker hand. Right? They, they sat back and did nothing. Well, the stronger hand, right? A'kosh Baruch Hu, right? B'yad chazakah to right? That's Hashem took us out. Right? Tefillin reminds us that even when we do things in this world, we're still b'chinas yad ke'ha. We're still bechinas the weaker hand. So really, Kosh Baruch is the one who's making things work out for us. Right, We're putting in our ishtadlus, etc. But Hashem is the one who's making it work because I call it Right. That's why it says there should be a sign on your weaker arm. And you should remember it between your eyes. Remember it in your head. Right? Not between your eyes, literally, like at the top of your nose. Remember it, but at the top of your head, where in your head, where in your brain, where you where you put the twill in. remember these things. Whenever you do anything in this world, they're really called by the Shemayim And a Baruch who's the one behind uh, our our successes. Alright, everybody, have a tremendous, tremendous Shabbos. And we'll see everybody in Sashem next week.